I, uh, I wanted to share today something with you that has really been strong on my heart, and I believe, um, as you've seen in our series of messages over the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been in a series called Forget Not. Somebody shout, Forget Not. Forget not. It comes out of the narrative in Psalms 103, where the writer says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Then he repeats it and says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not. Forget not. How many of you know sometimes we lose our capacity to bless the Lord because we forget what it is he's really done in our life? what he has made available to us. And so thank the Lord for Pastor David, who talked to us about not forgetting the confidence that was in our life a couple weeks ago. Last week, Pastor Jay preached and, and reminded us that we don't need to forget that the mercy of the Lord and songs of deliverance surround us in nighttime. Amen? I want to I share with you today, if you'll open your Bibles with me, to Psalms 73. Psalm 73. It's actually my favorite, one of my favorite psalms in all the Bible. And in the process of the next few moments, um, I want to I talk and teach. For those of you online, make sure you get your, whether it's your, one of your digital equipments that you're reading your Bible on or your notes you're taking on, make sure you have them right there with you because there's some things I think you're going to want to take down. What, what has been amazing to me is that in this series, if I could put together in a sentence what it is we wanted people to take away from this series, it's this, and it's that faith is not a moment in time. Faith is not a one-time decision you made. It's not something that happened at one moment and then you lived the rest of your life talking about it and looking back at it. Really, faith is a decision you came to, but it was just a starting point. After that, there's a, there's a lifetime of learning to live out and walk out what it is that you made as a decision to be a person of faith, one who decided to be a Jesus follower. And how many of you know that if you're going to live out your faith, that means you're going to have to mature in it? Because what happens is, and, 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 and if I could be really just get right to the point today, the reality is, is that we're living in a moment in time when people have not, the, the, the pandemic did not create shallowness, it revealed it. It didn't create people of shallow faith, it revealed people who lived with shallow faith. Because the, the faith that's in us is not subject to what's going on around us. But oftentimes we didn't get serious about maturing in our faith because somehow we thought that maturity was the product of time. How many of you know you can live a long time and never be mature? There are a lot of 45-year-olds that are still stuck at 16 in their reasoning, their mentality, their emotions, they still live like they're stuck in adolescence. Because maturity doesn't come by time. Maturity really is the product of continuing to pursue something, to chase after it, and our ability to go deep in faith. People ask me sometimes, say, Bishop, how, how do I go deep in my faith? And do you not realize most of the time I'm asked that question, it's not by people that are beginning a faith walk. 
most of the time I'm asked that question by people who have been in a faith walk for a long time, but it doesn't seem like their faith is working for them. That somewhere along the line, they got challenged over what it is they said they believed. And they started to, to believe God for certain things, and it didn't turn out the way they wanted it to. Maybe there's nobody in Oklahoma City, maybe there's somebody watching me online today that has uh, sort of set your heart on something and God didn't do it the way you thought he should have. Is there anybody in the building that can identify with what I'm talking about? But how many of you know your, pa your passionate pursuit of Jesus brought you into a place that even when you didn't know what he was doing, you knew who you believed? Because you hadn't tied yourself to the, to the what, you tied yourself to the who. When, you know, Kathy and I have been married 42 years, soon be 43 years. And when, when Kathy and I got married, I loved her with everything in me, as far as I know. I mean, every, everything I had, I loved her with every, every part of my being that I knew. But my love for her today is far deeper than it was on the day we walked the aisle and got married. And the reason my love for her is deeper is because now I have knowledge of her. Hmm? How, many, how many of you know that if you want any knowledge of your faith, you're going to have to walk with somebody for a while, and you're going to have to say, you know what, it's out of my relationship and my pursuit of relationship that I come to have knowledge that allowed my experience to go deeper than I ever experienced before. And I believe there are people in this room today that God's going to talk to us about the fact that when you begin a walk of faith, you're grateful that God saved you. You're grateful that he brought you out of destruction. He may have delivered you from certain things, but how many of you know it is also easy for us to forget how well he did for us and how much he did for us, and in those moments, and probably nobody here, but we become frustrated, angry, and even bitter with God when things don't happen the way we thought they should have happened. That's what happens in Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is, is, is written by a man. It's called, if you look at the top of, your, of the chapter, it's called the Songs of Asaph. Asaph. Everybody say Asaph. Those of you at homes and everybody in the building, say it with me one more time. Asaph. Let me tell you who Asaph was. Asaph was David's chief worship leader. He was the primary worship leader in the tabernacle of David. He was a music writer, he was a songwriter, he was a poet, and Asaph was also a prophet because the Bible says he was a seer. So here you had this man who was the primary chief musician, worship leader, songwriter, prophetic voice in the tabernacle of David. He's the one that's writing this. And he writes this about his faith journey. And hold on to your seat. He writes it more honest than most of us would. Because how many of you know most people, if you ask them to be honest, they really aren't. I ain't got no, I'm not feeling no love on that side. I'm going to preach over here. We ask people, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine, brother. Praise the Lord. And that's, most of the time, that's just not true. But we really don't, even with people we are up close to, we, we find it very difficult to be honest with. Let me, re, let me rephrase that. Even people we're married to, we find it very difficult. Chief friends, 
A couple of years ago, I was talking to a man who I consider one of my very best friends. And I was in a very vulnerable moment. I was dealing with some stuff in my life, and I started telling, talking to him about, you know, there are times in my life that I look out across the future, and I look at all the things that are going on in the world. I look at things that are happening, and I, and I, and I was sharing with him some apprehensions I have and even some doubts I have. And he's going, he looked at me, and he said, do you mean to tell me you went from believing in Jesus to now you don't believe in him at all? And I went, oh, wait a minute. Oh, is there, is, can, can I be with somebody that doesn't swing the pendulum all the way to the, the end? Is there not room for somebody to have a day where they're trying to work through the questions they have in their life and in their experience. Because you show up at some churches and just say, man, I'm, I'm struggling with something. They'll put you in the prayer room and they'll pray loudly and in tongues continuously until they get you delivered from that demon. Come on, somebody help me today. And Asaph was at a point where he just said, you know what? I, I'm going to be honest about my faith journey and about what happened in it. So he begins in verse number one. Here's what he says. God is truly good to Israel and to those who have pure hearts. How many of you would shout amen, God's good to people? Let me rephrase that. How many of you would shout amen that he's been good to you? So Asaph is saying, you know what? God's been really good to me. He's good to people that have a pure heart. But watch this. But I had almost stopped believing this truth. And I'd almost lost my faith. Wow. I'm encouraged today that there's a man in the Bible that was so courageous and so had such a revelation of God's love for him that he knew that his honesty would not turn God off. He said, you know what? I know God's good, but I had some situations come up in my life where I don't know if I, I almost quit believing that and I almost lost my faith. So he begins this amazing contrast in these scriptures, God's goodness, my realities. How do I reconcile what I know to be true about God and what I keep facing on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday? Because how many of you know most of us struggle with certain truths about God when our life doesn't match them? You say, what are you talking about, Bishop? Well, I'm talking about something like this. We say, God's generous. But why are people hungry? God's forgiving. Why do I keep feeling so guilty? God is good. Then why does my life keep ending up like a mess? How do I reconcile this stuff? God is full of peace. Why are there wars everywhere in our world? including my own kitchen. What I want to talk about today out of Psalm 73, I don't know how many of you remember that, that uh, series that used to be on television. It was on for a few years and then it's been played again on a, on a DirecTV's 
network, whatever it is, it was called Friday Night Lights. Anybody remember Friday Night Lights? Uh, Kathy and I are huge football fans, and it's really, it's written about a small town, a fictional town, but really off of some real realities in West Texas, a small town in West Texas where 40,000 people show up for high school football games. And so even high school football players become stars. But the coach, the coach had something he used to teach the players. He would say it, and it was on there almost every week. He would look at the players and talk to them about how we win championships. And he'd say to them this, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Clear eyes, full hearts, you can't lose. Say that with me. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. I don't have any, I don't have any sports fans here anywhere. I mean, if I was in a locker room with y'all, I would just forfeit. Come on, I'm going to say this one more time. I would just say, y'all go ahead and play. We're not coming out at halftime. Let me try it one more time. I, I need somebody got some grit in them. Let me try that one more time. Here we go. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Yeah. Ah. Let's watch what happens to Asaph's eyes that affects his heart that almost made him lose his faith. Because the reality is is that his eyes begin to wonder. Verse number three, he said, I almost lost my faith. Look what verse number three says. Because I was jealous of proud people, and I saw the wicked people doing well. Do you know what? Most of the time, we're not jealous of proud people. Most of the time, we disdain and dislike proud people. But Asaph, the chief worship leader, said this. He said, I became envious, jealous of proud people. I wasn't turned off by them, I was jealous by them. And I looked at the wicked people and I got even more frustrated because they were doing well. Do you know what he's saying? I was mad because God was not letting bad people end up in destruction. He kept letting bad people succeed. Hmm? Have you ever tried to be good and it just wasn't working out? Come on, have you? Nah, I got more. I got to have more help in that. How many of you ever tried to be good and found out that the people that were bad were doing better than you were? You felt like you were putting forth a lot of energy and the people that were bad weren't putting forth any energy? How many of you know that the bad people don't have to put forth any energy because they're not trying to be good? So bad people don't ever have to worry about being good. But there is some things we develop in, 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 our, in our walk with Christ that have been taught to us that are really not biblical. And one of them is this, is that somehow we believe that if I become a Christ follower, then automatically I'm going to excel and do better than all the bad people that are in my life or around me. And the truth of the matter is, listen, good, being good does not get you there first. It just gets you there good. No, I lost you. I said, being good doesn't get you there first. How many of you know if you're good, you got to stay in the line? You got to run your lane. If you're good, you got to play by the rules. But how many of you know bad people don't have to play by the rules and they can cut across lanes and they can take a shortcut and they'll get there ahead of you? And when you get there, you're going to be breathing heavy and they're going to be sitting there drinking tea. And you're going to wonder, how did you get here ahead of me? And they're going to say to you, you crazy person, why didn't you just cut across the field and get to the end of the game? And you're going to say, because that's not 
fair. And you're gonna, they're going to say, we don't play fair because we're not good. Come on, this ain't complicated today. But the truth of the matter is, is that somehow we thought because I chose to follow Christ, I'm automatically going to get there first. Welcome to the real world. Most of the people that are doing godly things are not getting there first. But they are getting there with a life that's full of integrity and a conscience that's pure before God. You say, what are you saying, Bishop? I'm going to help somebody today. The day you chose to give your life to Jesus, you chose to take on a disadvantage for how life would be lived. Because you know what? If you didn't choose to follow Jesus, when somebody did something you didn't like, you could cuss them out and go home and not even think about it. If somebody offended you, you could be bitter at them and you could have a fence towards them and you'd never have to think another thing about it. But the moment you said, I'm going to be a Christ follower, at that moment you had to start learning how to forgive your enemies. You had to start learning how to get rid of bitterness. You had to start, you say, well, Bishop, you sound like it's better to not be a Christian than to be one. No, 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 I'm not finished the psalm. Let me finish. But what I'm saying is, is that don't be so naive as to believe that people that don't play by the rules don't get there sometimes ahead of you and I. But if you'll understand what he's saying here, your life is going to be radically changed. Because here's what happens. His eyes begin to wonder, and you can tell that by the pronouns he uses. He uses the terms they and I. Watch this. Verse number four. They are not suffering. They're healthy and strong. You don't, you don't have to shout at me. I know some of you have actually sat at home and said, I don't understand it. My cousin, he drinks and smokes and cusses and does dope, and he's as healthy as can be, and I'm trying to honor God, and look at me. All those fatos are facing my life. He, look, look what he says in verse 5. They don't have troubles like the rest of us. They don't have problems like other people. They wear pride like a necklace. They put on violence like their clothing. They look for profits. They don't control their selfish desires. They make fun of others and speak evil. They proudly speak of hurting others. They brag to the sky. Their mouth is a gossip on the earth. So their people turn to them and give them whatever they want. And they even say, how can God know what's going on? What does God most high know? These people are wicked, always at ease, and are continually getting richer. Wow. How many of you want him to lead worship next week? Because watch this. Here's the point. Listen, don't miss this. You always lose clarity when you focus outward on how other people's lives are doing. When you judge your faith by your neighbor's life, you'll end up believing a falsehood. You'll get distorted in your vision. And ladies and gentlemen, we are not of the people that are continue to have distorted vision. Clear eyes. Somebody shout clear eyes. Because listen, how many of you understand that your perspective of life 
is what you believe about life. It's not what happens to you that takes you out. It's what you believe about what happens to you. Oh, I'm going to try that one more time. It's not what happens to you that's a problem. It's what you believe about what happened to you. If you believe that your boss letting you go is the end of your life, then you'll be mad and angry at your, at your boss. But if you believe Jesus is really the source of your life and that maybe a better opportunity is coming to me, then how many of you know you'll accept that moment of discomfort because you realize God might be moving me to something better? Hmm? So watch this. Perspective. Everybody shout perspective. How many of you know you see with your eyes, but you don't see through your eyes? Hmm? Your eyes were not created to tell you what you're looking at. I'm going to say that again. Your eyes don't tell you what you're looking at. They weren't created for that. Your eyes were created to gather light rays. Your retina and the lens of your eyes take in light rays. They send them to the back of your eyes to an optic nerve, and your optic nerve then sends them to your brain. So that what tells you what you're looking at is not your eyes. What tells you what you're looking at is your brain. Hmm? So if you spent your whole life in a closet somewhere and somebody told you this is pink, then when I walked out here today and somebody said, I like Bishop's gray sweater, you'd say, that's not gray, that's pink. That's not gray, that's pink. Well, no, it's not, it's gray. You'd say, can't you see? And they'd say, I am seeing. But I've been trained to see it as pink, not gray. Because what you have been trained to do is how you'll see it. And some people have been trained to see every obstacle as a problem rather than seeing it as an opportunity. And some people have been trained to see what they call a disadvantage as a reason to stop. But there are other people who have been trained to say anybody that wants to disqualify you because of the neighborhood you come from or the ethnicity you are or because you're a female or because you're this or that, whoever wants to disqualify you cannot keep you from what God's promised you. They have reframed their mind, renewed their mind, and they see the world in a different way. So what Asa is trying to tell us is as long as you look through the wrong eyes, you'll always believe the wrong thing and you'll want to give up your faith. Hallelujah. So what happens? I wonder how much of our joy and our fulfillment and our satisfaction has been stolen because we keep comparing ourselves to people that are around us. How many times have we just lost joy because we thought, those people don't even honor God. They got a promotion. And I didn't even get a raise. Come on, help me online. Just hit a bunch of hearts right there. Come on, let's be honest. How many of you know we really don't want God to love everybody? We want God to love us. Actually, actually, if you don't believe that, just pick up your phone and turn on Facebook right now, and you'll find Christians who hope other people, they die, they lose, they demise, they fail. 
I'm watching, I'm watching Christian people say, I hope they, and they fill in the blank of all this failure and demise. Why? Because we don't really want God to love them, and we really don't want God to bless them because they don't agree with us, and so therefore it's okay for God to throw them off the end of the earth and throw them out of the picture because they're not our kind of people. So we really don't want God to love everybody. We just want God to love us. Asaph lived during the reign of David. He was entrusted, watch this, he was entrusted with the heart of God's people. It was his job for them to experience the presence of God. He had so experienced the glory of God. It's written in multiple accounts in the, in the Chronicles. He had so experienced the glory of God, it was so thick people couldn't stand up. They fell under the power of the glory of God. But yet he came to a point in his life where when he looked outward, he questioned his own faith. He said, well, if I can just get in a good church service, I'll feel good. No, you won't. Stupid doesn't know geography. If you have bad thinking at 7700 North Council, then you're going to have bad thinking whenever you get home. Because until you get this renewed and quit looking at the wrong stuff, you'll keep questioning your own faith and whether or not you really have a relationship with I wish somebody would help me in here today. I feel like preaching. And people say, well, it looks like God doesn't even know. I mean, all these people are getting away with murder. Come on, somebody help me. Huh? Should I go there? Yeah, I should, shouldn't I? I mean, they're, they're, they're doing all kinds of stuff in our nation. And all of a sudden, we as the people of God get jealous that leads us to anger that results in us being bitter. And we wonder why we got no joy. It's because we've been looking out there. These people are succeeding and these people are succeeding. It looks like God's doing nothing. How can God know? May I, may I suggest to you, please, please don't ever forget this. May I suggest to you that just when you or I think that God's letting people get by with something, it may not be that God is letting them get by with the actions that you and I don't approve of. It may be that he puts more value on them as a person than he does their actions. And he's giving them time to come to the end of themselves. Till they come to a point. There's people in this room today. He's going to let them come to the end of themselves to where they realize that all the stuff they've been trusting in, the fame, the riches, the things they've been, the power, the influence, the prestige, the privilege, all the things they've been trusting in, they're going to find out can't carry them to where they want to go. And when they come to the end of themselves, they too are going to say, Jesus, have your way in my life, do in me. When I come to the end of my, that's what happened to the prodigal. They end up in a pig pen. He came to himself. It wasn't that God didn't see him wasting stuff. It's just that God was more concerned about him than he was his actions. 
Yes, God could have killed people last night that were sleeping in immorality. He could have struck them dead in the middle of their sex act. But maybe because of Calvary, he loves them more than he struggles over the action of what they're going through. And he's allowing them to get to the end of themselves and finding out that one good Saturday night is not going to be enough to give them the fulfillment, the satisfaction of what they're longing for on the inside of their life. Because see, I know men that have put their confidence in a relationship with a woman, and I know women that have built their whole life around a man, and when they walked out of their life and were no longer there, they felt so empty and didn't feel like they had any being whatsoever. But God is trying to raise up some people that recognize in him I live and in him I move and in him I have my being so Asaph comes to the point here's what he says he becomes a revealer now remember he's been talking about them them they they he's been looking outward look what happens in verse number 13 he now begins to change the pronouns because now he starts looking inward so why have I kept my heart pure? Why have I kept my hands from doing wrong? Why did I stay clean? Why did I even try? I've suffered all day long. I've been punished every morning. God, if I decided to talk about this, I'd have let your people down. If I even told people what I was thinking, they would have got discouraged by my discouragement. I tried to understand all this, but it was too hard for me to see. Come on, has anybody in the room ever asked yourself the question, why do I keep trying to be pure? Why do I pay my taxes on time? Why do I do business with integrity? He said, all I ended up was suffering all day long. Every morning, I was punished. I looked at that. When I looked at that, I, I, in my office, I had to slide my chair back and laugh out loud. Do you know what his job was every day? Do you know what his job was? His job was to go into the tabernacle of the Lord. <laughs> That's his job. His job was to go into the midst of 24-hour-day praise and musicians work, singing and, and playing instruments of worship and praise. That's what his job was. His job was to go into the tabernacle of David on Zion and make sure that all the choir was singing, make sure all the musicians were playing, make sure the glory cloud was still present. And he said, when I went there every morning, it was punishment to me. I was suffering. You say, what, is he, what are you talking about, Bishop? Here's why. The greatest gifts in your life will feel like you, feel like to you as a curse when you live with them from a wrong perspective and you desire wrong things. Was the tabernacle of the Lord the place of his safety? Yes. Was he enjoying it? No. Come on. I heard Pastor Jay last week say that, that when you come into the presence of God with your sin, it's not that God can't take your sin, it's your sin can't take God. 
See, what happened is that when Asaph came into the presence of God every morning, it revealed his bitterness. It revealed his bad perspectives. And he said it was like I was suffering and being punished. Anybody in the room know what I'm talking about? When you, when you come to church and wish the preacher would hurry up and shut up because it keeps making you miserable? Yeah, that's what Asaph's saying. He said, every time I came into the presence of God, it was like I was suffering. And it wasn't God's problem. It was my perspective. So all of a sudden... He had to learn to make sense of some stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, can I, just a second, ready? Come, come on, Ashley. We confuse a relationship with Jesus and religion. Listen, religion tries to answer all the questions. And we'll try that one more time. If you present a page with a bunch of blanks in it that need answers, religion will fill them in. Because religion has an answer for everything. Why did my dad get cancer? I'm going to give you an answer. Why is the world going to hell in a handbasket? I'll give you an answer. But do you realize that walking with Jesus demands you and I be willing to live in mystery? Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know. I can't tell you why a 16-year-old was killed in a car accident whose parents were faithful to God. That doesn't make sense to me. I can't tell you why innocent people die in the crossfire of bullets between two factions that hate each other. I can't explain to you why last weekend 27 people died in Chicago, 13 of them, by just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Why doesn't God stop that, Bishop? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I thought if we got, and just fill in the blank, I thought if we got this, if we got, if we got the right government, if we got the right president, if we got the right this, then all this stuff would end. I thought if we got a pro-life president, we'd end abortion. Only to find out that we still have 60 million babies that were killed in the womb. I don't, I don't get it. Asaph said, this stuff was beyond my understanding. Because listen to me, listen, listen. You will lose your faith if you have to have the blanks filled in. That's what he's saying. If you have to have an answer for everything, you will lose your faith. 
I've had people say to me, in the 42 years I've led a local church, I've had people say to me, walked away from a funeral and say to me, Bishop, I ain't coming back to church till God tells me why this happened. And you know what? Some of them, it's been 20 years ago and they haven't been back yet. Because listen, listen, don't miss this. Because your faith cannot be connected to what God does. It has to be connected to who God is. If you connect your faith to what he does, then when he's not doing that, you won't have faith. But when you connect your faith to who he is, then it doesn't matter what he's doing or not doing because he that comes to God must believe that he is. All I know is I know he's God and I'm not. I know he's faithful and sometimes I struggle with my faithfulness. I know that he's pure and he's always good. I know that about him and I'm not connecting my faith as to whether or not he answered this prayer or that prayer the way I wanted him to. What I'm connecting my faith to is I know in whom I have believed and I know he is able to keep what I commit to him until that day that's what I know I'll never fully understand everything going on around us but I don't have to very vulnerable. I'm riding in my car yesterday morning. My wife and I during this pandemic, if nothing else that it's done, it's, it's given us incredible time. Every morning we get up and, and ride almost every morning for an hour or so. We hold hands and we get something to drink. And we ride out through the countryside and just talk about our day, our week, what we're doing. And a conversation came up and she said to me, you got some bitterness. I said, I'm not bitter. In fact, I'm preaching tomorrow about people who become bitter. We pulled into a 7-Eleven for her to get something to drink and go to the restroom. She said, before I get out of this truck, I'm going to tell you something. You better deal with it. Because it's messing with your faith. It's tainted your perspective. See, this is what I learned. Because I went the next hour and a half and got before God and God said to me, she's right. And I had to do some things. Because here's what God said to me, listen. He said, as long as you stay bitter about something that happened in your life, you require me to keep you living in the past. Because bitterness demands you live in the past. Bitterness means you forfeit your future. Some of you wonder why you can never get going. Why is it I take three steps forward and four steps backwards? Why, why do I never seem to make progress? It could be that you looked around at other people and was angry because God blessed them at your expense. 
you ever helped somebody that forgot you helped them? Hmm? You say, well, I just, I did it as unto the Lord. Yeah, except for when their name comes up. Hmm? When their name comes up, you get a little bit, hmm. See, that's what Asaph did. He said, I got, I looked outward and I became jealous and envious and angry because I thought God should have been killing those people. I looked inward and I thought, why do I even try? Why do I even try to stay pure? It doesn't look like it's gotten me any benefit. Why do I stay faithful? I don't end up first anyway. But all of a sudden, he changes in verse number 17. And he said, all of this was happening in my life. Watch this. Until. Somebody said, how long am I going to have to live like this? Until. Until. Until I went to the temple of God. One translation says the sanctuary. Because see, Asaph lived in the time of David, and David didn't build a temple. Solomon did. So when Asaph said, I went into the temple of God, or into the sanctuary, he wasn't talking about a building. He didn't enter into a building he entered into a presence. He said, all this was going on in my life until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord. Then I understood what would happen. I went into his manifested presence. Listen to me, church. He said, I found out I couldn't be looking out. I couldn't look at all the other people and say how they're being successful and I feel like I'm being forgotten. I feel like they're getting ahead and I don't get ahead at all. He said, I couldn't look out because that just made me angry. It made me bitter. It made me jealous. He said, then I looked in and thought about, look how much I've given up for God. Well, maybe it's only Tony, but there have been times I've even gone to prayer and go, God, do you realize what I gave up? He said, I found out looking out didn't help me. Looking in made it even worse. Because I didn't have clear eyes. And when I don't have clear eyes, I can't have a full heart. And when I don't have a full heart, I can't win. Because see, the can't win is tied to the full heart. And the full heart is tied to the clear eyes. 
So he said, looking out didn't do me any good. Looking in didn't do me any good. So I came into the manifested presence of God. And I stopped looking out and I stopped looking in and I start looking up. I said, God, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with them. I don't even know what's going on with me. But I know who you are. And I'm going to look into your presence and I am going to behold your beauty. made this statement when I got in the presence of God I realized that my thoughts of all these other people that were succeeding what their what looked like success was really just a mirage they thought they were drinking water but they were eating sand it wasn't gonna satisfy them he said when I talked about my own jealousy and my own bitterness he said I became like a brute animal he said I was like a beast before you I lost my mind but now I realize you're always with me. You'll never leave me. You hold me when nobody else can get to me. You take me by my hand and you guide me by your counsel. So he comes to the conclusion in verse 25. I have no one in heaven but you and there's nothing on earth I decide I desire more than you. My mind and my body might be weak, but God is my strength. He's mine forever. He is my portion. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. If he is all there is in heaven and he's all we want on earth then how many of you know we can say I'm not going to heaven for golden streets and pearly gates I'm not going to heaven to hear an angel's choir I'm going to heaven to be in his presence well guess what if that's all there is to being in heaven then I can have that right now I can have heaven on earth I can come into the presence of the Lord through my worship through my adoration through my praise I wish somebody would get on your feet and lift your hands and say I am 